Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. So if you have your Bibles, turn over to Ephesians chapter 4. What I love about this is that when God puts a word in your heart, uh, it, it puts itself in a position that no matter where you go, at whatever time you begin to minister something along the lines that you've discovered, it's always different wherever you go. We run two services down in St. Augustine, and I guarantee you if you sit in both services, even though scriptures will be the same, um, the messages will always come out different. Because God knows you're here. He knows you're here. And he knows what you need. Amen. Come on, say this with me. Say, God, you know what I need. And today, I receive by faith what I need to hear from you. And when I hear it, I will make changes. I will repent. And I will live according to your word. Now give the Lord praise. Hallelujah. I said hallelujah. So uh, in Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to start in verse 1. And again, God going to tailor made this towards you as a congregation here in Valdosta. Um, But Miles Monroe said this in his book, The Principles and Power of Vision. He said, no matter who you are or what country you live in, You have a personal purpose, for every human being is born with one. God created each person with a unique vision. He has a tremendous plan for you that no one else can accomplish. No one else can accomplish. No one else can accomplish. No one can accomplish. See, we like to think that, you know, if I don't do it, it's okay. It's got to get someone else. No, what you are supposed to do lies dormant. Because if God actually didn't need you to do it, then he wouldn't have sent you. Jeremiah said, before I was in my mother's womb, he knew me. Before I was even in the womb, he knew my call, knew what I was destined to do. God did not have you birthed at the time you were birthed in this time on the timeline of what we call life for no reason. So if you think the person sitting to your left or right will pick up your slack, if you choose to not do what God's called you to do, you are sadly mistaken. Sadly mistaken. He goes on and says, the tragic thing is that many people live their whole lives without ever recognizing their visions. And the reason why that is is because, honestly, you know, um, the, the message of the Word of God, what's contained in Scripture, has been pulled to one side and only focused on, and it is a, it is a truth, okay? It is access, but it's not the end all, and that is, you're a sinner, and you're going to hell, and you need Jesus who died on the cross and rose from the grave and poured out his blood so that you could be born again. And once you confess him as your Lord, you'll be born again, and when you die, you go to heaven. And that's all that people live for is that I asked Jesus into my heart. Now I'm waiting to die. 
but God didn't put his nature in you for you to die with his nature and it never produce. I mean, we are, we are in a dispensation. We are the least amount uh, of excuse. I mean, how are we going to stand before Jesus one day and say, it was just too hard? And he's going to say, really? I put me in you. Really? The spirit that I created you as, when you confessed me as Lord, was in me. You were in Christ. You became a new creature in me. And then I put the Holy Ghost in you. The third person of the Godhead started talking to your spirit man and started telling you how powerful you were and how awesome you were and reminded you that greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world, and you're going to tell me you could not? No, there's another area of your life you got to get under control. And until you get it under control, you'll never live the vision that God has for you. All right? Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 1, it says it this way. Go ahead, you can smile with me. Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, thank God we're not prisoners of the Lord like Paul was when he wrote this letter. He said, implore you to walk in a manner worthy. Man, do you see that? He said, I implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. Now, he's not talking to the fivefold ministry here, although he'll separate that gift out a little bit later in this chapter. He's talking to the body of Christ. So he's telling us, he's imploring us to walk in a manner worthy, which implies you can walk in a manner that's not worthy. Amen. Now, we all have heard the teaching, God is love, and God loves us, and he loves us unconditionally, right? We've heard that so much. But you understand, God's love for you, though it's unchanging, doesn't mean that the Father in heaven who loves you can't be disappointed in you, meaning can, can be displeased. You say, God could be displeased with me even though he loves me? Absolutely. For the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 11, without faith, it's impossible to please God. So he loves you, but yet he could be saying, that Chris, God. Oh, will he please just believe me? Right? Amen. You don't want dad going, oh, gosh, would he just believe? It's quiet, man. Now, I know this Anchor Faith Church, so we're not a Methodist, you know, we're not Lutheran. We are a full gospel church. Amen. I mean, even if you like, I think that's he's talking to me right now. I'm not talking to you. The Holy Ghost may be. But when it is, just go ahead and say amen. Just go ahead and take it. It's better than saying oh me or oh my. Right? All right. Amen. Because <laughs> I like to tell you it's going to get better before it gets worse. But it's not. It's just going to get real here in a second in your spirit, man. Because it's what you need. Hallelujah. All right. We're here to grow people. We're not here to babysit you. Amen. We're here to raise you up in the things of God so that you can actually be a force for the kingdom of God right here in your community. Amen. So we got to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. So you all have a call. It says, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance to one another in love. How is it a lot of times in the church that we're the least tolerant of each other? Man, we're like bent over backwards for the lost. But then you come to church, someone gets you in your parking spot, sits in your seat, you know, doesn't greet you, and all of a sudden you're ready to go find another church. Really? 
The sinner hates you. Okay, amen, let's go on. I'm not going to preach on love at all. That's a whole, maybe I'll do that kingdom rise the next time I come called kingdom love. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. Who's calling? Who's calling? It's your calling. Say, it's my calling. It's my calling. Say, it's my calling. It's yours. What you going to do with it? Nobody can stop you from doing your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Verse 7, but, uh, but to each one of us, but to each one. How many of us? Each one. That means you and 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 I don't have time to go through all the you's, but everyone in this room, each one of you, each one of you, each one of you, grace has been given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Now, if we went on, we'd see in verse 8, he said he gave gifts unto men. That means everybody has a gift. Then when we get on down into the 11th verse, it said, and now some gifts are, he gave some as. That means not everybody has this gift, but some do have this gift, and that's apostle, prophet, pastor, evangelist, and teacher. Now, what do those five do? Those five are there to equip the rest of the saints, which means you can't get equipped outside of those five-fold ministries. And so if you think you don't have to go to church and you're gonna be, you'll be able to grow in the things of God, you are sadly mistaken. Now, the thing is, is most of the body of Christ believes that they're here just to get educated. I'm not here to educate you. I'm here to equip you, and equipping you is totally different than educating you. This ain't about passing a test on who killed Goliath. This is about to be able to stand where David stood and be able to handle the emotional stress that David uh, handled and be able to look at your enemy when he's running his mouth off at you and you do the same thing David did just in your day. Because it ain't going to matter when your giant's standing at you, screaming at you, say, David, he don't care about that. I got 100 on the table. He don't care. He'll take your 100 and crush it. Amen. So let's don't pass on paper. Let's pass in life. Hallelujah. So there's gifts. Well, then all those gifts come together. And the Bible tells us, if we kept on reading in this same chapter, that we are jointed and fitted together. Each individual brings their supply, and that supply shows up because we're jointed and fitted. If, if you're not connected with a joint, the supply comes through the joint. So again, if you're by yourself, you don't have a supply. But the minute you connect with the church, then it can begin, your gift can begin to flow. Hallelujah. Your gift is not for the lost. Your gift is for the church. And the church will be so impressive that the lost would say, we want what you have. Amen. Your life would demonstrate the kingdom so clearly because of your connection with the church that when you got around people, they'd be like, I want what you have. And you'll say, let me tell you about my King Jesus. Hallelujah. I said, hallelujah. First Corinthians chapter 12, verse 18 says it this way. But now God has placed the members, each one of them, say each one, say each one. How many members? How many of the members? Now Christ has placed but now God has placed the members, each one of them, each one of them. Is there an exception to one of them? Nope, not at all. In the body. So who's doing the placing? God is. Who's doing the placing? 
God. And how many is he placing? Each one. Is there an exception? No. Okay. But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as who desires? Who desires? Who's he? He's God. So it's not you. So if you say, I came to Anchor Faith Church because I wanted to come here, you're wrong. You should be here because there's something on the inside says, you need to be here. Hallelujah. See, we're in a democratic society or a democratic republic, okay? And um, as a result of that, we're so used to just picking and choosing what we want. But you understand the Bible's not a democratic republic. It's a kingdom. And the king reigns. And the king has the final authority. And the king knows what makes you tick and, and, and how you operate the most successfully in his kingdom because he knew it before you even showed up on the planet. <laughs> Woo, hallelujah. Listen, you don't know how salvation worked. I mean, seriously, you don't know how somebody could show up over 2,000 years ago, shed his blood, die on a cross, be raised from the dead by the Holy Ghost, which you were not present, and then he takes that blood up into an unseen realm called heaven, pour it out on a mercy seat in heaven, and it is still paying the price for sin today. You don't know it, but all you want to do is accept it. You just want to receive it, and you want that forgiveness, right? We have no problem with having no concept of that understanding. Yet, when it comes to God picking us and putting us where he wants us, we all of a sudden want to buck the process. In essence, we're bringing our slave mentality into our new walk with God, and we're saying before we knew Christ, we're like, there's got to be another way to this thing. But what did Jesus say? I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. You're not going to find anywhere else. You can do all the religions you want to. doesn't matter. I eradicated them with, my, with me being here. There is no such thing. I am the only way. So you finally accepted that. Then you get over here, and now you're trying to find another way to operate. Well, you know, I don't really want to have to go to church. You know, I don't really want to have to get connected with people. You know, <laughs> you're in trouble, right? No, you've got to conform your thinking to his plan. So he's placing you in the body where he desires, where he desires. And man, when you get in the place that he desires, your gift will manifest and visions will take off in your mind. And then you'll actually have a course, a reason why you're breathing. You know, it's not good enough to, to, to know the fact that you were born. You need to know why. It's amazing how many people don't even ask. Don't even ask, why am I here? You know, God has an answer for that. I said, God has an answer for that. Hallelujah. And not only does he have an answer, but he, he has the way that you can fulfill your why. That way, at the end, you can say, I've ran my race. I've finished my course. Uh, I've fought the good fight. I'm going to enter into a reward. Amen. Hallelujah. So Jeremiah 29, 11 says this, and you know this, man, we see them on coffee mugs, man, we see them on t-shirts, you probably see it on Facebook somewhere, send it to your friends, 20,000, 20 of your friends, and you'll be blessed this year kind of stuff. <laughs> for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future, amen. So he knows the plan, who knows the plan? 
He knows the plan. You don't know the plan. So he's not obligated to bless your plan. You're obligated to find his for your life. Amen. So he knows the plan that he has for you. And those plans are awesome. His plans are not to send you somewhere you hate. His plans are to send you somewhere that your purpose will be released. Now, in, the, in your mind, you may think, I don't want to do this. But that's all right. Once you finally go uh, stay over with God, you'll say, it's worth it. It was worth the whole thing. Hallelujah. I'm glad Pastor Mark came to Valdosta. Because I can tell you right now, before he ever came here, he had another state in mind. Yeah. Because when... Uh, Pastor Brown was here with Cheyenne, and they, you know, launched this church initially, and then they believed they were supposed to come down and help uh, myself, but we had already transitioned to an Anchor Faith Church. Um, at that point, I'm like, I'm taking it. You know, I'm going to take it. And so we shut down the Sunday mornings. Y'all were there. You'll remember that, right? We shut down the Sunday, Sunday mornings, did the Sunday night, and Pastor Brown would still do the Wednesday nights, and I took it for nine months. Knowing that ultimately I'm going to put someone here, something's going to happen. But, you know, I didn't, we didn't start a church to stop a church. Because I asked, Lord, do we shut this down? If I'd have known they were coming, I wouldn't have called it Anchor Faith Church. Right? But the Lord knew. And so here we are traveling up every Sunday. We'd preach there on Sunday morning in St. Augustine and drive up here every night, uh, afternoon on Sunday night, preach, and then went home. We didn't spend the night. We went home. And then they came to work at 8 o'clock Monday morning. Much to Pastor Mark and Pastor Marcus's desire to want to sleep in, but it was their boot camp. Amen. I said, I'll see y'all at 8. Hallelujah. We got work to do. Amen. And so we did this for nine months. But in the sixth month of us doing it, every Sunday, mind you, on the sixth month, the Lord spoke to me and said, give the church to Pastor Mark. He's going to take it. So I called him up, and I said, Pastor Mark, did God tell you to go to Texas and start a church? Because we knew when he came in that he was going to pastor one day and that we would launch him at some point. He wasn't going to stay children's pastor forever. And I asked him that question. He said, well, no, I can't say that the Lord ever told me that. You know, I just assumed I would. I said, well, I believe the Lord wants you to take the Valdosta location. Well, the day before... The Lord had spoken to him in prayer and says, Pastor Earl's going to call you and, and tell you that you need to take the Valdosta church and you need to do it. Well, aren't you glad that Mark didn't say, you know what, Lord, I want my plans. I'm going back to Texas. It's the greatest state on the face of the planet. You know how Texans are. They think it's, you know, like a little Mecca or whatever. You know, uh, you know how they are, right? I'm sure y'all had a great time when they beat Georgia in the bowl game recently. Y'all enjoy the bragging rights over Florida because Dan Mullen's back, and we're going to beat y'all down next year just to let y'all know. Chomp, chomp. Okay, so with that being said, um, with that being said, aren't you glad he says, Lord, I need to know your plans and not mine? And so he changed to Georgia. Aren't you glad he did? I know I'm glad he did, and I'm looking at the fruit of what he's done and his wife. Because they decided that I'm going to follow God instead. I'm glad that uh, Chris and Terry here finally figured out they're supposed to be an anchor faith in Valdosta. Amen. Out of much prayer and fasting and long-suffering, they finally got it right. Hallelujah. Amen. Aren't you glad they're here? Amen. Then Caleb back there. Caleb, his whole family is in, still in St. Augustine. 
I mean, it's easy for God to, or for the enemy to say, why don't you, you got more kids, you need to go, and you need to get stay with, no, he's like, I'm here, this is where I'm at, and he came, amen. So thank God for people following the plan. Proverbs chapter 29, verse, uh, to, uh, verse 18 says this, where there is no vision, the people perish, but, the, but he that keepeth the law, happy is he. The message says it this way, if people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves, but when they attend to what he reveals, they are um, they are most blessed. So here's the thing. It's never enough to get a vision, uh, to get the vision. We must be responsible for seeing the vision through to completion. You know, a lot of times people, Lord, give me a vision. Then he gives it to you, and then you don't do nothing with it. I mean, once you get it, now, you're, now you have the responsibility to finish it. Okay? Vision is about attaining your God-given purpose and achieving the results of why you were born in the first place. And let me tell you something. The Bible is crystal clear. Uh, from In the Old Testament, even in the New Testament, there are plenty of historical accounts of people um, that we can refer to and look to that God gave a vision to, all right, and, and how they walked that out. All right. In fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11 and 12, the message reads it this way. These are all warning markers in relationship to the Old Testament. It says, these are all warning markers, dangers in our history books written down so that we don't repeat their mistakes. Our positions in the story are parallel. They at the beginning, we at the end. We are just as capable of messing it up as they were. Don't be so naive and self-confident you're not exempt. You could fall flat on your face as easy as anyone else. Forget about self-confidence. It's useless. Cultivate God confidence. So we see that we know if God has a plan and has a call for everyone, which the Bible is very clear, and we took time to look at this very specifically first in the new covenant, that you all have a call and that God places you somewhere and that the grace of, of a gift that God's given you, now you have the responsibility to begin to discover why you're here and you've got to live this thing out. And there's a type and shadow in the Old Testament of different types of, of people that lived on the planet just as we have and how God utilized them and whether they finish strong or not, they're there and we can look at their lives and begin to say, do, who do we want to model? Because when you really look at the Old Testament, a lot of people did not finish well. Did not finish well. And this isn't a question about whether they're still with God. This is a question of did they do what God said. Now, we wrote another book called Cows, Crows, and Constellation, and Joseph finished strong. Joseph got a dream, got a vision, and then took the responsibility to see that thing all the way through to completion. Not only did he finish the purpose, but then he had enough faith that he believed that they would leave that nation one day. And when they do, he said, take my bones. So we know they were in slavery for 432 years. We do not know how many years prior to that before a Pharaoh rose up who did not know Joseph. And yet that word that Joseph said to his nation stayed through all that period that when finally Moses takes them out, they got his bones. Hallelujah. I said, hallelujah. That's pretty awesome. But today we're going to look at a different one. Today we're going to look at one that I in Scripture have seen, and it is an epidemic in the church right now. And you need to say, I'm done with living like this guy lived, because there is a type and shadow here 
of what most people will call a hero, but the reality is he is the saddest example of wasted potential. Of wasted potential. And he's found in Judges chapter 13, we know him as Samson. It says, now the sons of Israel did evil, verse 1 of the 13th chapter of Judges, in the sight of the Lord, so the Lord gave them into the hands of the Philistines 40 years. And this man, this, there was a certain man, uh, Zorah, of the family of the Danites, whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and had borne no children. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold now, you are barren and have uh, borne no children, but you shall conceive and give birth to a son. Now, therefore, be careful not to drink wine or strong drink or eat any unclean thing. For behold, you shall conceive and give birth to a son, and no razor shall come upon his head. For the boy shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin. If you have a Bible, you ought to underline that. Or if you're taking notes, write that word down, begin. He shall begin to deliver Israel from the hands of the Philistines. Notice what the angel cannot say to this uh, mother is that he'll finish it. He can only begin. We've said this statement before. It's not how you start. It's how you finish. And there's a lot of believers that get into the kingdom of God but do not finish well. That's why our motto is always advancing because we've got to get to the next thing. We've got to do the next part of what the vision is as he continues to expand us and grow us and enlarge us. You know, as a church body, you know, we want to continue to reach out. This is why you have to continue to grow and develop. And the reason why you want all that God has for you to manifest in your life and quit being satisfied with an exit strategy once you leave your skin suit. You understand, God is more desirous to get the place you want to go to once you leave your body to you now than you leave your body to get to it. And we know this in Matthew chapter 6 with the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be on, on earth as it is. God so wants to get heaven's reign through you right now so it manifests in the earth. Yes, so many believers just want to leave planet earth and go be with God in heaven. Listen. You, all you're going to strip off yourself when you're present with him is the nature of sin and your flesh that you're constantly having to crucify. Outside of that, I have personally acquainted with the Lord. He talks to me. He's in me. Are you with me? I mean, it's not like I want to go be with him when he came to be with us. What does Emmanuel even mean? God with us. But because we become so sight-driven and can't see the, the, the nail, the holes in his hands and in his feet and, the, and the, uh, you know, the part in his side, all of a sudden we're like, I want to be with Jesus. And Jesus is like, I'm in you. I'm in you. Seriously, he is inside you. He talks with you. So, the Bible tells us that he would begin. Now, there's a word mentioned in this passage. says to the mom, listen, you can't drink wine, small, you can't drink any strong drink, and you don't eat anything unclean. So she had to be separated. And now this kid's going to be born. You're not going to cut his hair at all. 
And in essence, he'll be a Nazarite from his birth. A Nazarite from his birth. Nazarite from his what? Birth. This is a type and shadow of the new birth experience. See, when he said, when the Lord said to the mother, said, listen, he's going to be a Nazarite, that's not like, what's that? I've never heard this term before. The nation of Israel knew this term. They knew exactly what they were asking. Because anybody in the nation of Israel, okay, outside of the Levitical priesthood, could claim a Nazarite vow. And a Nazarite vow had three things in play, and you can read this for yourself in Numbers chapter 6, 1 through 8. So the first thing they, do, they were to do once you did the vow of a Nazarite, you were to abstain from wine and strong drink. Amen. I said you were to abstain, not drink it so that you don't get drunk. Okay. You were to abstain. Period. It's off the table. From the birth. Hallelujah. Why is that? Because when you get intoxicated, you open your mind up to the things of the devil. Because you can't control your thinking. Middle management is all jacked up when you're under the influence of some other stuff. Are you with me? And so it said, take it off the table. Why? Because a priest had to stay sober-minded. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. So the next thing they were to do is they were to refrain from cutting all, uh, the hair off uh, for the length of the vow. And the majority of them, they would, there would be a set days. They would communicate, I'm going to do the vow of the Nazarite. So during that time frame, they did not drink and they didn't cut their hair. And when the men's hair grew out, it was a type and shadow of the ephod that the high priest wore. So basically, when you saw this guy with long hair in the nation of Israel, they were like, he uh, has separated himself unto God. These were outward actions that identified to everyone that he has made a vow and that he has separated himself to God. It demonstrated the vow. The third thing was to not eat, have, uh, to avoid contact with dead things, period. If it was dead, don't touch it. If it was dead, don't touch it. Remember what uh, uh, Paul wrote? He said, come out from among them, Right? that the clean should have nothing to do with the unclean. We are to come out from among the world. Now, that doesn't mean we're not going to go influence it. It's just that we shouldn't be doing worldly things while in a believer's body. We should avoid dead things. So we shouldn't be desiring to do things that we know uh, were a part of our previous life. As Paul said, I put off the old man and I put on the new man. You know, when you were dead in your trespasses of sin, you acted this way. But now in Christ, there's another way to live. Are you with me? And so here's the thing. This is why this is a type and shadow of the new birth, because Samson did not get to declare his vow. God did. And God said it's from the birth, which is a type and shadow that when you confess Christ as Lord, you're declaring, no longer do I live, but Christ lives in me. And I make an allegiance. I make a covenant with my mouth. My vow is to you. You are Lord of my life. Whatever you say, I do. And the new believer still, in context, do these three things. Should stay away from things that would cause their mind to be intoxicated, to abstain. 
And when I say that, I'm not even just talking alcohol. I'm talking conversations. I'm talking listening to news. You can get stuff going in your mind that will get you intoxicated. But I am talking alcohol. Hallelujah. I just think it's such a funny thing. And they're like, well, you know, the Bible says, you know, don't get drunk. Okay. So when's drunk? Who's defining drunk now? Can you tell me who does that? Because it depends on the person. I can start standing y'all up and give everybody a, a, a shot of liquor or a glass of wine or a, a, a can of beer. And each person, the minute they drank some, we can start testing their alcohol blood level and it will be different. So who defines it now? You define or does God? Oh, okay, I'll go over here. Because I know when I was young and I started drinking, you know what? I took a drink and got halfway through a can of beer, and I was already feeling a little buzzy. I don't know what the term is they use today, but back in the day we called it a buzz, which means I'm already having some challenges in my mind. Now, not so much that I can't walk, not so much that I can't talk, not so much that I feel like I can still drive. But I have also drank in my life at a spot that I finished drinking one day, and I walked outside, and it was in St. Augustine down at Crescent Beach because we had rented a beach house, and I, you know, it had to be God's intervention because we had some Jack Daniels there, and I was sitting at a couch, and another couch was here. It's kind of like a U, and then there was a little pass through from the kitchen. So my friend would pour up the shot, hand it down to the guy on the couch who would pass it to the next couch, who would hand it to me, and I'd take the shot, give it to him, and it passed around, and it just kept happening. Somewhere down there, I just said, I'm done. I got up, walked outside my friend Eric, and that's all I remember. I don't remember going down to up underneath the 206 bridge. I sure don't remember coming back. I have no idea how much time passed, but all of a sudden, in blackness, I started hearing this. I don't know how long, but I just kept hearing that in blackness. Eventually, I came up enough that I realized it was the glass line door in my room and that they were checking on me to see if I was still breathing. Now, you'd probably call that drunk. But it started with the first sip. If I had withstained, we wouldn't even have a problem right now. You know what? It's so funny. It's amazing how many Christians desire to see how close to sin they can live and yet still have a relationship with God. You know? And I'm telling you right, it's an epidemic, unfortunately, in the church. I know of pastors with their staff going out drinking doing staff meetings at restaurants with beer. And they're like, grace. Grace has empowered you to get your mind together and quit living like the world. I mean, seriously, do you really think that just because you're throwing back a beer, all of a sudden you're going to really be a greater uh, influence in someone's life? No, you're going to continue to enforce the thought the world already has. I'll wait and accept Jesus after I've lived my life, And then just before I die, I'll get my fire insurance policy. Because you have him, and you do what I do. You watch what I watch. You drink what I drink. You talk like I talk. Hallelujah. 
See, Samson made decisions outside the character of his vowed life of a Nazarite. He knew it. In fact, when he was talking to Delilah, we'll get to her a little bit later, but when he was talking to her, and she's like, really, where's your sword? He said, listen, nobody's ever cut my hair because I've been a Nazarite from the beginning. He knew what it meant to be a Nazarite. It's not like he didn't know. Just like you come to church day in and day out, and God, and God uses the man of God or the woman of God or whoever gets up in the pulpit to begin to preach to you the oracles of God, the word of God, and you know. You know. And yet, we, if we don't watch out, we can consistently be making decisions that are outside the character of our vow confession. Jesus is Lord of my life. He's Lord, but you're still doing life like you want. There is a standard for living, uh, of living God expects us to attain. And the church will be in a whole nother play, playing field if we would just attain. We would. We would. If we'd quit being satisfied of just getting people born again. Now, that's the door in. We should be so passionate about getting the lost saved because now they actually have access to something greater than themselves. And that purpose can actually manifest. And a vision for their life can actually begin to develop. And all of a sudden, God can bring another part of heaven to earth through that one. This is why it's so awesome. The Lord said, listen, greater works will you do because I go to the Father. And many people say, what greater works could we have done than Jesus? Well, it's not that we do a greater work because some people say, well, we see the new birth. Jesus didn't see that. I would beg to differ. It's not a true statement. Jesus did see people born again. All you got to do over there and look at John. He can't breathe into his disciples and say, receive the Holy Spirit because he can't put new wine in old wine skin. No, they had called him Lord. So after he died, was raised from the dead, poured out his blood, and was hanging out for those 40 days resurrected, then he comes back to his disciples and says, receive ye the Holy Spirit. So he saw the new birth experience with humans. So what are the greater works? The greater works is, you're Jesus, 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 you're Jesus to your world. Meaning you're in Christ and the greater one lives in you and the access of heaven that Jesus has is the same access to heaven you have. And so when you walk into your place of business, you can lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. You can begin to speak to things. You can begin to declare things. And so a little portal of heaven begins to pull down into you and get out through you. Which means you don't have to say, Pastor Mark, listen, I'm at work and my boss here is not feeling too well. Can you come over and lay hands on him? Now, if Pastor Mark happened to come off a healing uh, series, he should, he'll be able to say to you, no, you do it. Because it says, and they'll lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Don't say the pastors will do it. Those who believe. Those who believe, these signs shall follow. Hallelujah. Amen. Are you a believer in this place? I said, are you a believer? Then, man, God's equipped us and empowered us to do something greater than ourselves. This is not about a one-way ticket to heaven. This is about getting heaven to us while we remain in the earth and through us to someone else. Hallelujah. 
So, in Judges chapter 14, we go on, you understand, and he ends up, uh, this, is, this starts to let us know why this man who was called of God from birth and had this separation unto God, he had a life that was dedicated to God from birth. We are to dedicate our lives to God from birth. But the problem is, which is the problem with most believers, and you got to ask yourself, am I in this category, is that he lived by sight. So he goes to his father and mom and said, look, uh, there's no woman among the daughters of your relatives, although... They already knew by the law of Moses that they should marry within their own nation and not take wives from a different nation. And yet he disregards the covenant of God. Now, let me just say this. The Bible says, you know, the parents didn't know that the Lord was doing this so that he could. Now, when it says the Lord's doing this, that doesn't mean the Lord did it. The Lord just knew the sum of all of his choices. Are you with me? Because you understand God's not on time. God's eternal. So God already knows the sum of all your choices before you even showed up in the planet. He already knows how you'll respond in every aspect. So he knows what he can get out of you before you even got here. So it's not his sovereignty in the context that he's making you do things. He just already in his sovereignty knows the sum of all your free will choices. So how can I liken? It's like you and I were to go back and watch the Texas-Georgia game. It is done. What was the final score? 28-21? That ain't bad. I mean, that's pretty easy. That ain't as bad as what, what Florida did to Michigan, 41-15. We needed those bragging rights. Okay, anyway, if we go back and watch it now. Now, seriously, if you watched it now, would you be easy? Who watched it live? That's it? Okay. How many of you were emotionally involved in it? Yeah, right. Right, that's like, come on, come on, man. Because it's like real, t- but you understand, God already knows. Now, if you go back and watch it now, how are you going to watch it? Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter if they scored, because I know who's going to win. It doesn't matter if Texas ran it up to 45 to nothing. If we know that Georgia would have come back and beat them, right? Although that didn't happen. What I'm saying is, is that... When you already know an outcome, your position, and no matter how much you scream at the TV, no matter how much you don't do it, they're going to do it anyway because it's their free will choice. So God knew Samson was going to live by sight. He includes this because he's telling us in modern day, don't live this life. And so what did he say? He said, let me go find, go, listen. He said, I want a woman from the Philistines. But Samson said to his father, get her for me, for she looks good to me. I can't tell you how many uh, uh, believers that I've dealt with through the years. Pastor, oh, oh I just... They're so awesome. I love them so much. Yeah. Well, are they born again? You know, I don't know. You don't even know? If they're not born again, the Bible is very clear. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. So you better find out that or they're not even a candidate. But pastor, they look so good and they're so nice to me and they're so kind. They are evil. They have a spirit that you don't have. It is not going to work. 
Well, you know, I just think I can get them saved. You can't. Only Jesus can. And you don't know for sure whether he, whether they'll accept him or not. I mean, you're playing with fire. Sure, I understand there's probably people in this room. I understand. Well, I married someone who wasn't. They came to the Lord. I understand things can work because what the devil meant for bad, God turned for good. But if you know ahead of time, why would you subject yourself to something God's already clearly warned you? Don't do this. I mean, my gosh, girl, if he is so awesome, then let him get born again first and then let him know. I've been eyeballing you while you were in the world, but I couldn't touch you, couldn't even come near you till you got your sorry self right. But I was praying and believing God. I trusted God more than your good looks and your, your dimply smile. <laughs> I wanted to see a manifestation of it coming to pass before I give you, allow you to put a ring on this finger. Because I'm wholly separated unto God, and I ain't going to let some trash thing get up on top of me. Are you with me? Hallelujah. This is real preaching right here. <laughs> I'm going to go to future now and start preaching and start teaching. Man, we're going to do it. We'll just go to the schools. What? It's your problem. You're getting hooked up with the wrong people. Just because something looked good doesn't mean it is good. In fact, Jesus said this. How come you being evil know how to you give good gifts? So evil people give good gifts. See, the problem is, is that we live by sight. And how do we define people good? Man, they're, they're good. Because they're nice to me. You're always polite. I mean, some of the, wor- some of, some of the um, um, uh, sexual um, misconducts uh, that land people in prison was because they were nice. I quit calling people good anymore. I just call them nice. Well, they're nice. There's going to be a lot of nice, evil people. Because a good tree bears good fruit, a bad tree bears bad fruit, and I don't want to call a bad... Uh, tree bearing bad fruit good when they're just nice. There's a difference. Hallelujah. All right, we're going somewhere. I'm conditioned to preach three hours, so we're fine. Okay. God's ability to hinder the Philistines were limited to Samson's sight. And that happens a lot of times with believers. He's hindered to advance the church where he wants to because he's hindered by their sight. Samson had no vision for himself, so he could gain no vision for his country. If you don't get a vision for yourself to find out God's plan, you'll never have a vision for Valdosta. You'll never get a vision for Georgia. You'll never be able to see yourself touching the world. The only vision you have for your life is when I die, I go to heaven. That's really not vision. That's a byproduct of being born again. And God doesn't save you just to take you. He saves you to empower you to make a difference. Hallelujah. Okay. Samson operated in a covenant, here it is, without ever renewing his mind. Middle management, man, you're going to want to hear this. You got to renew your mind. Your spirit, man, is only one aspect of who you are, and you could do nothing to get your spirit changed. Jesus did all that. But the minute he did that, now, because your spirit's different, and then he places the third person of the Godhead in you, whose assignment is to teach you all things and to guide you into all truth. He will help you renew your mind. But it takes you to submit yourself to teaching and growth and and then say, that is not a God thought. I'm done with that. 
I don't care how good looking they are. They are not born again. So I can't, they are not even a candidate. God, there are 7 billion people on the planet and God can get someone to you. Seriously, you think all the best looking ones are right here in Valdosta? Right? I mean, most, church, most believers are church hopping for what purpose? To try to find a spouse. Amen. Well, if you're planted where you need to be, let God bring her. Because Adam didn't walk around looking for her. He just named all of creation, and the Lord says, none of these are suitable. I just want you to know you'll never be able to have anything in creation that will satisfy you like that which I'll bring you. Yet men are always trying to substitute it with their purpose or with their job or with things. The only thing that can satisfy you if you have this inner I can't do it alone is called a, a wife and she's a good thing but let God bring her okay so um, Samson operating in covenant uh, without ever um, renewing his mind a lack of vision will create selfish ambition right well I'm coming to church today well, I, well it's you know it's really not about me it's what can they offer my kids <laughs> so you sacrifice yourself so your kids can go into a carnal Church, you already admit it's carnal. You already admit it ain't going to grow you, but yet you'll put your kids, and you actually think the 10-minute teaching they're hearing and all the pizza ministry that they have is actually going to get your kids through uh, high school. There's nowhere in the Bible that says you have to have a youth ministry. Okay. It'd be better to have them sit right by you and hear a, a, a senior pastor preach and then review what that stuff is so you can help grow and develop them than just throwing them somewhere. Hallelujah. Selfish ambition. Well, you know, that church doesn't minister to my needs. Really? Well, first of all, you got to ask, are you in the right place anyway? Because if you're picking it, they're never going to minister to your needs because you only show up to church selfishly. Hallelujah. This is why, again, when you don't get a vision for yourself, you'll begin to start pulling God's word and start only pulling it for yourself. Well, God called me to prosper in all things. He delights in the prosperity of his people. So I'm calling in prosperity for me. Not that God don't want you to prosper, but you just want the big house, the nice cars, the best job, so you can say, look what God did for me. That's selfish. Those should come because they're a byproduct of the fact that you seek first the kingdom of God, and then once you get it, then you distribute it just as God tells you to. Hallelujah. Because if you only have a vision for your address, you have no, no vision. You know, people say this. The church is not uh, us for no more. But a lot of times it's only your address. Okay, this is great. We're going good, Pastor Mark. We're going good. We see over in Judges chapter 14, drop to uh, verse uh, 17. Um, you know, we got this issue that takes place. Obviously, he finds this woman. And I'm paraphrasing. Obviously, you can read the account for yourself. I'm giving you some scripture that you can refer to. But obviously, he goes to this woman. And um, the reality is, is he, um, um, you know, gives a riddle because he wants some money. Now, what, it, what they don't know is that there was a, a line that he kills because the anointing comes on him. And later on, he goes by, and there's a beehive that gets up in it and makes honey. And so he sticks his head in the dead thing pulls honey out, eats it, and then gives it to his parents but won't tell his parents where it came from. Because, again, he's messing with dead stuff. 
and that's against his vow. So he gives this riddle to these guys because he wants some clothes, knowing they'll never do it. But what happens is the wife-to-be, his engaged woman, all of a sudden gets a message from these guys, if you don't find out what it is, we're going to kill you and your family. So she begins to say, Samson, I need to know. He said, I ain't telling you. So she hits him more. I ain't telling you. And she starts crying, turn on the waterworks. So here's a strong guy who can take a line and rip it. But then here's a lady who can persistently bombard his thinking and cause him to cave and give her the riddle. She tells them, in turn, they come back and tell him, and he gets mad about that, right? And then he makes this statement. So um, he ends up going off, and he uses the anointing to kill 30 people to get their clothes and bring them back. Because later on, he leaves emotionally distraught and mad. See, when you don't renew your mind, your emotions will rule you. Here he's got a plan from God and got an anointing, undeniable. Already killed a lion with his bare hands and then just killed 30 guys to take their clothes to give to pay his debt to a group of people. Goes off emotionally distraught. Then when he finally gets his emotions together, he comes, leaves his mom and dad, goes back to get his wife, only to find out that the father's like, you were upset, we didn't think you wanted her, so we gave her to your best man. Then he makes this statement. You can read it for yourself. He said, I am vindicated now for what I'm about to do, which means he knew what he did with the 30 guys killing them. He shouldn't have done it. So he ends up grabbing these fox t- foxes, tie them by the tail, don't know how that is. That's an anointing by itself. Sends them out and basically destroys the Philistines' crop. Are you with me? At that point, obviously, we know that they come flying after him. See, the thing is, is he used his anointing on his pleasures. We are anointed of God when we're born again. Then when we get the Holy Ghost to come upon us and we are endued with power and it opens up the language of the kingdom that we speak in other tongues, but it's the power that we have, we have an anointing. For the Spirit of the Lord is upon us, for he has anointed us. And are we using this anointing on our own pleasures? He did this. Just because you have an anointing in your life does not mean that you're walking in the perfect will of God. Just because you get around people that an anointing is flowing doesn't mean that their life is literally in alignment with God. This guy's operating in anointing, and we know that is not how God wanted him to operate. It's obviously he didn't want him to kill 30 guys. It's obviously that God, based upon the word that he gave to Moses, didn't want them going after a Philistine woman. Yet he knew he would do it. So he would let us know in the new covenant dispensation that when I anoint you, don't use this anointing on yourself. Come into the church, all of a sudden the anointing comes on, the pastor begins to teach you, you begin to operate in some principles of faith, you begin to believe God, and the anointing's there for you to believe God, and the anointing's there so that you can overcome and conquer adversity and trials. And all of a sudden the anointing opens up businesses and opens up prosperity and opens up health and healing. Then the next thing you know, those individuals are buying the bigger house, having the nicer cars, getting the lake place. Next thing you know, they can't be in church because they got to go here, they got to go there, they got to take care of their things. So all of a sudden, they just use the anointing to amass themselves their own wealth, but separate themselves from the church itself. Hallelujah. Amen. No, the anointing was for you to be able to distribute and have influence with. 
and do something for the nation. It's called the kingdom of God, the holy nation. Amen. Well, ultimately, we see then in Judges chapter 16, verse 14 to 15, that he fell in love with a woman by the name of Delilah. Right? Now, here's the thing. At, at the moment he sees the first woman, uh, Samson says, I want to marry her. But when he gets to Delilah, he don't care about marriage anymore. Fornication is just fine. Okay, I'll go over here. Because he knew in the covenant you're supposed to be married, even though he's getting married to the wrong woman. But after that deal hurt him, now he'll go find a woman and marriage isn't an option. Shacking up is just fine. And all of a sudden, because he's sleeping with this woman all the time, it seems as though God's okay with it. This is the problem. If sin paid out immediately, less would do it. But it does not pay out immediately. It does, it does pay if left outside of the blood. Yeah, you can blow it and then ask for forgiveness, and the payment of that sin won't come into play for you because the blood of Jesus will get applied. That's why the Bible tells us in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And the only way you would know you had sin is if you're a believer because when you're lost, you don't even know you're in sin or that you're sinning because that's just your way of living. And no lost person can confess their sins because there's no way you could remember them all. All you do is confess Jesus as Lord, and all your sin is paid for. But once you're a child, of God, now you know every time you're doing something wrong outside of the covenant. Because the Holy Ghost in you says, hold on a second. You are a different species of being. Now, I'm just going to be nice to you right here. I'm just going to say, don't say anything. Just hold your tongue. Because you can be quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to wrath now. Just put me on. Just trust me. I'll keep you under control. There's a fruit I have here on the inside called self-control. Wait for it. It's coming. You can do this. Amen. And then the minute you don't do it, and you bust off in anger, and you're mad and screaming, and then you realize, and the Holy Ghost says, well, did that work for you? And you feel guilty. You're like, no, I didn't. He said, well, just ask me to forgive you. We'll get the blood applied to it, all right? I mean, it's not about a relationship with you and God. It's just you're hindering um, the conversation and the fellowship we have if you just keep trying to put stuff in between us. So let's get it taken care of. Forgive me. I forgive you. It's like it never happened. Now let's go on. And the next time something comes, he begins to talk to you. So you can confess as a believer. Hallelujah. So he don't want to undo it. See, the thing, so what happens in verse 5, it says, The lords of the Philistines came to her and said to her, Entice him and see where his great strength lies and see how we may overpower him, that we may bind him to afflict him. Then we will each give you 1,100 pieces, each one, each. Doesn't say how many. It said the lords. I don't know how many lords there were. I haven't done that study, so I don't know how many lords of, in the, Philist, uh, of the Philistines there were. But each one, say each one, will give 1,100 pieces of silver. Jesus got 30. So we need to understand this. If you do not renew your mind in the covenant that you're a part of, if you, do quit, will, if you will not quit living by sight, then this is what will ultimately happen. The thing that satisfies your flesh and brings you comfort in the natural will eventually sell you for a price. 
If being promoted on a job and you keep, you know, lusting after people recognizing you and recognize, so you use the anointing so that you can get the promotions and get the promotions and get the money and get the accolades and you desire that, then eventually you're going to get laid off one day. And that which satisfied you will sell you for a price. It, doesn't, it does no good for us to sow to the flesh. For the Bible tells us if we sow to the flesh, we'll reap of the flesh corruption or destruction. It happens. It's unavoidable unless you sow to the Spirit. Then you'll reap of the Spirit life. Hallelujah. And that's what the anointing was there for, so that you'll walk in life and fulfill your purpose. Are you with me? See, Delilah represents the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh in the seen realm. We need to realize that a mind not renewed is always subject to manipulation. If you don't renew your mind, you'll be subject to manipulation. Somebody can say, oh, I know what gets them moving, and all of a sudden begin to cater to your flesh, and because it feels good, you think it's God. Hallelujah. But it's not. Well, ultimately, we know what happens, that she ends up going and says, you know, tell me how you get your strength. So this guy right here is so blinded and arrogant Uh, and thinks that he is unstoppable in the context that this anointing allows him to do whatever he wants to do. So he first, you know, gives her a little story uh, uh, um, that, you know, doesn't work. And you think after the first time that he says, listen, if you would do this, I think it was new ropes, you know, buy me with these new ropes, and um, then I'll be weak like anybody else. So she does it, right, while he's sleeping, wakes up and says, the Philistines are probably, he breaks them. You think he'd have said, wait a minute. Now, I just told you how I would be weak, and why are there new ropes broken that were on my arms? But, you know, he was so deceived. An unrenewed mind that does not live according to the covenant you're in, you will live a deceived life. The Bible tells us very clearly Be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. So just because you come to church does not make you successful. What makes you successful is when you come to church and your pastor preaches a word and you say, I need to do that. You actually do that word because if you actually don't do that word, you'll leave that word not doing it forgetting about it, then the, the, the cares of life, the trials of life will come, and you'll be stuck in it like everyone else, and you're like, but I'm a believer, and I was in faith. No, you weren't in faith. You weren't in faith at all. But I believe God. No, you don't. Because if you did, you'd get the results of believing. And you want me to side with you that you really believe, but yet there's no evidence. No, I believe the word, and it let every man be a liar. Let's do the word. So some of the most deceived people on the planet are actually believers because they come to church on Sunday. They dress up, you know, or however they dress. They bring their Bibles. They say hey to people, but yet they live like the world Monday through Saturday. And they're like, I'm right with God. So he, then he goes, you know, gets a little more bold. You know, uh, here, you're my hair, right? My hair. Well, that didn't work either, you know, the way. So then eventually he tells her the real deal. You know, I've never had my hair cut. I've been a Nazarite since the beginning. There were things I was supposed to do, but I've just never done it. And then only in my life I've used it for me. 
You shave my head, I'll be like anybody else. So she realizes he said all this in his heart. And so she gives him some more milk and puts him down on her lap and begins to caress him and gets him into a deep sleep and cuts the man's hair off. At this point, he jumps up, you know, because she says the Philistines are upon you. And he stands up to fight like he did everybody else, but the anointing didn't come. And then the Philistines grabbed him and gouged out his eyeballs. But that was the best thing that could have ever happened to Samson. Because the minute he lost his sight, he finally gained his vision. The minute you quit living by sight, you'll begin to finally tap into living by faith. And I'm telling you right now, sight has a voice, not just seeing. Sight will tell you you're not going to make it. Sight will tell you it's not going to come to pass. Sight will tell you that you're sick and you can't overcome it and people have died from this. Sight will tell you everything naturally to persuade you to not believe God's word. But faith will say, what God says, that's forever settled. That's it. It's only that way. And my scene has got to get conformed to what I believe. Period. But as long as you keep looking at it, if you keep looking at your checking account and that's your self-worth, then that's all you'll ever be. I did this in our church down in St. Augustine. I said, say you're a millionaire. Go ahead, tell somebody. Say, I'm a millionaire. All right, go ahead and look to your neighbor and say, I'm a billionaire. Now, does that bother you to say that? Because if it does, you have a money problem. You have a money problem if it, if it hurts you to say that. Now, the reality is if you were a billionaire, you're broke. Because God made us dominionaires. We have dominion. I don't have to have money. I just have to have access. And I have access with the name of Jesus. There's nowhere on the planet that if the Lord has need of it for me to accomplish his purpose, I can't get it in Jesus' name. I don't need an account to tell me what my worth is. The Lord told me my worth. And I make man in my image according to my likeness, and he'll have dominion. So it doesn't matter whether my bank account says $3. Or whether it said 100,000. Or whether it said 3 billion. Doesn't matter. My worth is more than that. <laughs> this is the problem. We're not getting the worth that we are. And we'll always not limit ourselves in our capacity to do because we allow things to tell us in the seen realm who we are or what we can and can't do. Come on, parents. How many times have you said it? You told your kids, sorry, we can't afford that right now. I don't say that. I don't say that to my grandkids. Even if it's not an account, I'll say, what, are you, what, are, what is it you're wanting? What is it you want to do? Okay, you know what, Big Poppy, he's going to talk to the Lord. And we're going to see if that's what we need to do. And if that's what we need to do, know this, it shall come to pass. I don't care how much it costs. I'm not going to tell them I can't afford something. I have dominion. It just may take some time for me to... Get in faith, believe God, get what God's word is, declare that word for us to say, remember what we talked about a year ago? Amen. The greatest gift God ever gave to humanity is not sight, but vision. Sight is a function of the eyes, but vision is a function of the heart. So let me, let me break it down. Here he is, this guy, and this is, I'm going to cl close with this. Here he is, his eyes are gouged out now. He's as weak as anyone else, so they can beat him up, and they do. And then they chain him. They put him on this post that basically is on a grinding wheel. And so here he is uh, grinding grain. That's what he does. He's, he's basically, he was this champion 
could have been a champion for Israel and deliver them from the oppression of an uncircumcised Philistine. Philistines, but instead, because he wouldn't walk in the covenant of God, now he's been chained and shackled uh, to a post that he just walks around in circles his whole life. How many of you feel like you're just walking around in circles? It's like your life's just cycling. Come on now, are you with me? You feel like you're just bound in your job, you're bound in the symptoms, you're bound in your finance, you're bound in your relationships. Now, if you would just get some guy eyes gouged out, would you quit looking down at your feet and looking at your sorry, pathetic situation and looking at the chains that you've shackled yourself to because you're not renewed your mind, you begin to say, I'm going to gain a vision. So what did Samson do while he's walking around in circles? Well, this is what. He couldn't look at himself. He couldn't look what's around him. That was, it was all introspective. And at that point, his eyes are you know, gone, and he's dark, and all of a sudden, he's hearing voices of old, of past, where his mom said, son, I, was, uh, I could have no kids, but God gave me you, son. You're my special child, son. God's got a plan for you. My gosh, he's got destiny for you. And then dad said, look, your mom couldn't have no kids, but God showed up one day and said, we're going to have you. And we're so proud to have you, son. We know you're going to do great things for God. We know you're going to do great things for God. And listen, God's got this plan for you. And you can do this thing, man. You could do this thing if you just follow God at his word. And in that time, he's like, but I didn't follow. I did my own thing. I didn't do what God said. I just did my own stuff. When I got a promotion, I went. When I got an opportunity to uh, be somewhere else, I went. When I got a chance to be in a relationship, I did it. And so all that anointing, I squandered my whole life. But mama said I'd be special. And dad said I'd do something great for God. And because they said that I will, what am I doing stuck here? Well, man, God, would you do me a favor? God, would you please? I realize my whole life has been wasted. I could have done so much for our nation. I could have done so much for who? you called me to be but instead I squandered it in my own life but now I see I see I was appointed I see I was anointed I see I was consecrated for a purpose and you give me an opportunity to vindicate my eyes my eyes when I could see I couldn't see but vindicate them now so that when I I do see I see the plan about that time the Lord said man let's go celebrate and have a party to our God Bring the whole uh, city around. And 3,000 filled the stadium. And then all of a sudden, say, go grab that old sorry Samson because our God has caused us to triumph over our enemy. And all of a sudden, Samson says, what's that? They want to see you, Samson. Where are we going? To the Colosseum. Okay. So he gets up there and he's, the young child's helping. He says, son, can you help me? So yeah, can you? show me where the pillars of this thing are at so I can lean on them. Because see, while he was going around in circles and couldn't live by sight anymore, the anointing began to come. And every time he kept going around, the anointing kept to show up. And every time he kept going around in circles, the anointing was there. And as he began to trust God, that anointing just came on him again. It just kept coming on him. Why? Because if you'll live the vision, the anointing come on you. There he is, standing, and they are yelling, and they are heckling him. And then he says this, Lord, here I am now. 
once and for all. I won't be able to deliver my nation because there's too many of them out there. But give me the strength one more time to do what I was called to do and let me at least continue to begin a work for you. And he leaned, even though it knew it's going to cost him his life. And listen, if you're going to do the vision of God, it's going to cost you life. Your way of thinking, your way of doing it. You're going to have to live by faith. And he knocked down those pillars. And it said he killed more in that one day than he did any other time in his life. But yet he called it a beginning work. Because of that action, he's listed in Hebrews chapter 11 as someone who ended in faith. He may not have finished what he could have done because the sum of his choices only allowed him to begin something. But at least he ended his life in faith. And what God wants to say to Valdosta, Anchor Faith Church Valdosta today, is that, oh, it was great staying up at night. It was awesome putting up walls. It's great throwing carpet. And one day, Pastor Mark's going to stand up here and say, it is finished. We're done in this remodeling, this location right now. But that doesn't mean it's finished. That just means this chapter of that part's finished and we go on to the next one. Because there's more that God wants to do through Anchor Faith Church than just get in this building and finish this out. There's more land to accomplish. There's more buildings to grab. There's more people to influence. There, there, there's come a place that you can't even contain all that God wants to send to you in this place. You might as well get ready for two services. You might as well get ready. Don't be complacent. Oh, I like my little one. No, it's about people's lives. It's about you, you pouring yourself out. It's about you taking out the way you think it should be done and say, God, use me. It's about serving in one service and then being in the next service. It's about my life's dedicated to God. And I refuse to allow the anointing he gave me when he caused me to be born again, to be squandered and be wasted potential. That when I stand before my Lord, he won't be able to say to me, I could have done more in Valdosta if you had only. If you had only. Today declare, I've learned the lesson of Samson. And I won't be a Samson. The anointing's not for me. It's for my purpose. And I won't live by sight. I'm going to live by faith. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website, at anchorfaithbaldosta.com. There you'll find our locations and service times, ministries that are available for you and your family. You can even give financially in support of the ministry. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Anchor Faith Church Podcast.